Please turn with me now in God's Word to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. Then he said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea, and that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. So the Lord said, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him, When he has come in from the field, Come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, Prepare something for my supper, and gird yourself and serve me till I've eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this word given to us. We are not above, certainly not above our master. We're not even above our examples and our our teachers who are men. And Lord, we have all the same sort of problems and all the same sort of misunderstandings about ourselves. And so, Heavenly Father, how we pray that you would speak a word of sobriety to us, And that we would think of ourselves as we ought to do, as servants who are doing our Master's will. Do you pray, Heavenly Father, that you'd open this word of God to us, that you'd grant us, both in our minds and our hearts, that this word would be understood and it would reside in us forever. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We come now on this chapter 17 to verses 7 to 10. And you recall the Lord's words in verse 3, Take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And you also recall how the disciples responded to that command of the Lord. They said in verse 5, Lord, increase our faith. And the question is, why did they respond that way? We answered some of that question last time. We said, it is a matter of faith, and they rightly understood it. They looked at that. They said, this is, this is impossible, and we need faith to do it. And they rightly, they asked for it, and the Lord addresses it. You want more faith? Let me explain the nature of faith. Even a small amount of faith, legitimate faith, even the size of a mustard seed, 
You could not only do this, you could, you could pluck whole trees, you could pluck mountains and cast them into the sea. That's what faith does. But what else lay behind this resistance to the command that Jesus gave? Because think about this. They could have very easily have just said something like, Yes, Lord Jesus, we will forgive those who sin against us even seven times a day. We will do whatever you command us. They could have simply done that, couldn't have they? But they didn't. Instead, they acted as if it were some great thing to be asked to do this. Entirely beyond what they consider to be a reasonable expectation. And that's the key, you see. That's the key. Now, a servant doesn't think that way. A servant thinks if someone says jump, I say how high. And that's the idea behind what, so much of what happens at, at boot camp at Paris Island. I was reminded of those things recently. And so much of it has to do with obeying seemingly pointless rules. And they they almost are pointless rules and commands. But to do that without hesitation, to, to transition from the idea of what do I think is reasonable and profitable for me to do to what was I just told to do? You see, those are are completely different modes of thinking. They couldn't be any more different. There is the evaluation, what do I think is reasonable and what do I think is profitable for me to do compared to what have I been told to do. And that's the way a servant thinks in that latter category. And when a servant does such a thing, God's servant certainly, they don't expect some great pat on the back. Now, I, I know that I need a reminder, some refresher training on this particular concept. I think we probably all do. Perhaps it's, it's the very best medicine that we could have at the outset of this new year to be reminded who it is that, that we are, what is our place in this universe, that we are not the masters, we are the servants. We are not the freelancers, Right? We're not those who uh, can simply take on a job if we like it and, and decide not to some other. Frankly, I think that we've listened too long and too well to Satan's flattery, the same sort of flattery he's been telling our race since the very beginning, that you ought to be like God. Now, that's one of the reasons why people are so resistant to the, the gospel itself, that we imagine ourselves as little gods And so some partial, occasional obedience to certain commands that we choose to to agree to, they ought to be richly rewarded. Well, as I say, I think also having the right mindset beyond mere the the, the larger picture of of the gospel, the, the right understanding of the way that we're saved by grace the right mindset and the right expectations for this life, they are crucial. Because if we're expecting only to believe and only to obey those things that we think are reasonable, and if we're expecting only to to be served rather than to serve or to have a pat on the back for every little thing that we do, then we are surely going to move from one disappointment in this life to the next. We are going to be depressed we are going to lack joy for a certain and continual disappointment. Now, I want to say this. The fact is God is going to reward us. I I hope to put that in at the outset. God is going to reward us very richly 
in the next life. But that is what he, very surprisingly, is going to do for us, not the way that we think about ourselves moment by moment, not the way that we think about our work as freelancers who are expecting at every moment to be rewarded. And, of course, it will not be for what we are in ourselves when the reward comes in eternity, right? Because we just think of ourselves as unprofitable servants. That is what Jesus is telling us. We should call ourselves unprofitable servants. And he will say something else to us at the end by means of his grace and generosity. Well, the title of this sermon is, We Are Unprofitable Servants. We are unprofitable servants. And the three points are, one, we are servants. Two, obedience does not get a medal. And three, we are unprofitable servants. First of all, we are servants. It says in verse 7, and which of you having a servant? And this is the foundation for everything else. It's such a minor little word. It's such a minor little point, but it is crucial. It means absolutely everything, that, that little word, servant. Now, interestingly, Jesus is actually putting the disciples in the place of God to make his point. He's saying, which of you, if you had a servant, and probably some of them did, They were humble, ordinary people, generally speaking, but we know that some of them were probably in a position to have a servant. And which of you, if you had a servant, would be okay with that servant acting towards you as you are acting towards me? Do you see how that is? He has spoken a word to them. He said, um, if someone, uh, look, if if someone sins against you and, and repent seven times a day, you ought to forgive them seven times a day. And they said, whoa, whoa, Lord, what you're asking is crazy. That is so unreasonable. Increase our faith. How about just do what you're told is the response. Which of you having a servant, if he acted the way you are acting towards me, would think that that's a good idea? Because they're servants, you see. They were forgetting that. Now, specifically, notice that the servant is plowing or tending sheep. I don't think that's accidental. Because these are precisely the things that the apostles were called to be doing metaphorically. Incidentally, notice that's the the word that is given. They are called the apostles at this point. Interesting. They are called, for instance, in Matthew 9, 37, he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That's what they're doing. Or John 21, 16. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love me. Uh, I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. That's exactly what they were told to do as apostles, as disciples, as servants. Go tend my sheep. So these are servants. And I now say, moving from the disciples, who were most definitely servants, I move now to say that we are also servants, okay? And by four different virtues are we servants, okay? We are servants by creation, by redemption, by calling, and by example. We are servants by creation. Genesis 2, 7. 
And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. We are no gods. We have no bargaining rights with God as if we were peers. We are creatures of the dust created specifically to worship him, to serve him, and to glorify him in all that we do. We are, we are servants by creation. And we are servants by redemption. Because by, by everything living, we're, we're all that. But we are doubly so. We are doubly servants. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And listen, here's the crucial thing. And you are not your own. You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Not your own. It's our problem. We keep thinking we're wrong, but we're not. You're bought with a price. That's what you do with servants. Slaves. They're bought with a price. We are servants by creation fundamentally, and then doubly so in redemption. Furthermore, by calling. Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to show his servants, because that's what you are if you're a Christian, called to be his servants, things which must shortly take place, And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. You see that? See the way that we are, by our calling, our identity as Christians, that we are servants. Triply so. And then, by example. And who do I mean? I mean, by example, as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, I mean, all that makes sense. Of course, we're created to be servants. Then we're redeemed. We're doubly so. And, and of course, we're called as Christians to be. But you know what? Even the Lord Jesus Christ came to be a servant. Philippians 2.3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. This is the example. This is the example. He is a servant. And we are to be servants as well. We're servants by creation, by redemption, by calling, and by example. And you know that that servant, Jesus Christ, our example, he never said, I don't think that's reasonable. Do you really think that I need to humble myself so terribly If I'm going to come to this horrible world, let me at least be born in a palace and live a life of luxury. No, I didn't say that. And did he say, furthermore, I'll be glad to come and teach these people, but I'm not going to endure any insults or any any back talk, and I'm going to retain my glory while I'm in this world and my my ability to to do as I I see fit. And, And the answer is not at all. Actually, he was obedient to the point of of death. 
And why then do we think that his mere commands to forgive people are so unreasonable? Well, first of all, we're servants. The second point is that obedience does not get you a medal. In verse 7, And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him, when he has come in from the field, come in at once and sit down to eat? Now, the point is that he does not reward the servant by asking him immediately to sit down to eat. Rather, he says in verse 8, Prepare something for my supper. And gird yourself and serve me till I've eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink. You see, the point is he's a servant. He's not achieved some higher status just because he did something the master told him. He doesn't get a a medal for it. And moreover, he doesn't even thank him. And these words are particularly striking for us in our very polite society. The words are very striking. Verse 9, does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. Right? Now, we can take issue with that if we, if we want to. But these are the words of our Lord. These are the inspired and inerrant words of the Lord. He says, I think not. You know why? Because thanking is what you do with people who have some other choice. Who can decide to serve you or decide not to. Decide to do something for you or decide not to. With free people. And, and we should. We, we thank one another for every little thing, and rightly so, because we, we're not required, you see, as peers among ourselves to do good things and nice things for one another. So we should thank one another. Here's a crucial difference. You ready? God doesn't need to thank you for doing the things that he's told you to do. Okay? It doesn't merit a medal doesn't even merit thanks for you to do exactly what you've been told. The servant's obedience, even if it were perfectly flawless, does not merit a medal, does not merit a special reward, does not merit consideration, does not even merit a word of thanks, none of it. But you say, what about Adam and the covenant of works in the garden? Wasn't it true that Adam, had Adam obeyed, he would have merited eternal life? Well, the covenant that, that God and his wisdom chose to make with him does involve precisely that. Had, had he remained faithful, then he would have confirmed him in the way of life and rewarded him, yes, with eternal life. But it, it didn't have to be that way. Let me ask you this. What, what do the rocks get when they obey God? You know they do, Right? What do the trees and plants get for obeying God? Not one of them in all of eternity has ever disobeyed God, but what do they get for all their obedience? What do the animals get? Nothing. No thanks, no reward, no medal. Now, why should the dust be any different? Yes, you're talking dust. I'm aware of that. Talking dust. Why do you think that you're different? Why do you think that you actually merit a medal for your obedience? If God ever granted anything beyond, now it's true, obedience, if if the dust does what it's told, then good for the dust. No punishment is due, but no reward either. 
And if God ever in his, his goodness ever granted anything beyond that, then we can only say that we see the generosity of God in the covenant of works. But as for the general way of things, obedience does not get you a medal. That was our second point. We are servants. Obedience does not get you a medal. And, but thirdly, we are unprofitable servants. It says in verse 10, So likewise you, when you have done all these things which you are commanded, say we are unprofitable servants. Now I want to dwell a little bit on, on that little phrase on, of, of all those things which you are commanded. When you have done all of those things which you are commanded. Special reference, no doubt, to the particular command that they were balking at, which they found so unreasonable. But it's not limited to it. It's everything. It's love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, seeking moment by moment purely to live for the glory of God. Loving your neighbor every bit as much as you love yourselves. Doing for them the way you would want them to treat you where your position's reversed. And when you've done all of those things without any exception, for all of time, we say we're unprofitable servants. Now, the word unprofitable, translated here, is probably too nice. There are two or three Greek words that can be used for that, and they kind of range in, in what they're saying. Uh, but this one is the one that's not so nice, okay? This one is the one that is, actually means more accurately worthless or good for nothing, Okay? Where else is it used? For instance, in Romans 3.10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. Same word. There is none who does good, no, not one. And all this points to, in verse 20, Therefore, by the deeds of the Lord, no flesh shall be justified in his sight. You see? See how that is? No thanks, there's no merit, there's no earning anything in this. And also in Matthew twenty five, fourteen, for the kingdom of heaven, I'll, I'll return to this parable, it's, it's a useful one. Matthew twenty five, starting in verse fourteen, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man travelling to a far country who called his own servants servants and delivered his goods to them. Verse nineteen. After a long time. The Lord of those servants, Lord, servants, keep that in mind, came and settled accounts with him. Verse 24. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. Notice that, hard man, asking unreasonable things, reaping where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, you have what is yours. Okay. And you say, well, isn't that good enough? He's returning just what was, what was given to him. It's not enough. His Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own. With interest. You see that? And the way he responds, and finally in verse 29, is to this 
To everyone who has, more will be given, and to he who has abundance and will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away, verse 30, and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, the very same term, unprofitable servant. And that, my friends, is frankly and honestly what we all deserve before a holy God. And it would do us good to keep that in mind. It would do us good to think about ourselves as we are. Think of ourselves soberly. In ourselves, what we actually are and what we actually deserve is precisely that. Cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. That's the connection to the gospel of grace, by the way. You see, as long as we think of ourselves as peers, as little gods, as free agents, as, as freelancers, walking around agreeing to some laws and not to others, and if we choose to obey this portion of the law and we do it, boy, we're expecting a medal. As long as we think of ourselves that way, we will never understand the gospel of grace. Jesus comes and says and offers to us as hopeless cases to unprofitable servants, and to only those. Because if you're a profitable servant, then go earn your keep. But if you understand yourself as you really are, that you're an unprofitable servant, in danger of being cast into outer darkness, then you come in abject humility, and you say, Lord, I have nothing to bargain with. I have nothing to offer. But I understand that you're willing to give the gift of eternal life purely through grace, sheer grace. And we understand grace to be what it is. We understand ourselves as sinners saved by grace, not as, as profitable servants who are earning something before God. I'll say a little bit more about that later, but notice also, before we leave this third point, that we have done what was our duty to do. That's a word I think that needs to be a little bit more in our vocabulary these days. It used to be a lot, actually. It used to be constantly you read things from the, the high Victorian age and, and duty was, was everywhere. It has a Christian background, you know. But not so much these days. I think we pretty much consider anything, any little thing that we do that's halfway decent to, to be something that, that ought to be made famous throughout the universe. Actually, we need to think of servants who always have some duty. And the question at every point of our lives is, what is our duty to do in this instance? And even if we've done every bit of it, we don't think, think that we're anything special. We've just done what is precisely our duty to do. Well, as I say, coming now to application, we are, we are servants. As I, I've, I've said, we, obedience is not going to get us a medal, and to add to it, we're unprofitable servants. And here's what I say. There's really only two main applications, and I want us to get this distinction straight. I want, us to, I want you to call yourself an unprofitable servant because that's what Jesus says. He's putting words in, in the servant's mouth. You should say, we are but unprofitable servants. I'm going to say in a minute, he's going to use different words, okay, for us in eternity. But as for ourselves, as for our self-understanding, call yourself an unprofitable servant. That's application one. 
but it's got A, B, and C. A, forget merit for salvation. Okay? Let's think again about this, this diagnostic question that's long been used by evangelicals to see where people stand. They ask, first of all, how certain are you if you were to die tonight that you'd go to heaven? And the next question is, okay, great. Now, Jesus is going to ask you, or if Jesus were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What would be your response? And if the person's not a Christian, you know what they're going to say? I have done some good thing. I have kept your laws. I have gone to church. I have been charitable. So forth and so on. There's a long list of things that people might say. And that's a really important consider. That's a really important tool for us to, to understand. They say the, these people, if they say that way, they haven't understood the gospel at all, because at that point they are expecting a reward for their wonderful, good works, and they have made a fundamental mistake. If they knew what this sermon was talking about, if they understood themselves as servants and what is more unprofitable servants, they would never think that, right? Theoretically, the, the, the basic, most basic honesty that could possibly be, even if you didn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but only thought very soberly and truthfully about yourself, is to say, I couldn't say anything because I do not deserve anything before God. Now, now hopefully that understanding then leads you immediately to grasp onto Christ and say, the reason why I could ever expect to go to heaven is because I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and for his own wonderful, gracious reasons, he has promised eternal life to whoever clings to him in faith. And that's wonderfully true. But we would never, ever have in mind that we're getting some reward for our wonderful good works. If we were to obey all of God's works, all, or all of God's law for all of our lives, without any exception, we wouldn't merit a thing. We've simply done what we were told to do by our maker. And we know the reality is far from that. It's not that we actually have done everything that he's ever asked us to do. It's we've disobeyed more than we've obeyed. We are therefore the most unprofitable servants, worthy not of, of a medal, but of his condemnation. And this is the nature of salvation by grace alone. All that is stripped away. You're not coming expecting reward. You're, you're coming expecting judgment. And rather, if he is extending a hand and of saying, look, my son, my daughter, I know you failed. I know you're a sinner. I'm so glad you've come to understand yourself as you truly are, as I've declared you to be now. Receive my gift of salvation in faith. So forget merit for salvation. B, expect only to serve some more. The question is, why are we sometimes so disgruntled, so disappointed? Why? Are we expecting some limitation to what we're being asked to do or some reward? I think that's the problem, isn't it? We were okay with this, but wow, I wasn't expecting to have to do something so unreasonable. And I was expecting much more reward for even doing what I was doing. What can I say? Stop it. Stop expecting so much in this life. That's the thing about the way that the, the, the Jesus explanation, his illustration is laid out. He says, after they've been working all day, then they come home. And what do they do? They serve some more. Okay. And I, I say, under this, this general heading of call yourself, think of yourself as an unprofitable servant that you ought, ought to expect only to serve some more. After you've served, expect to serve some more. 
you know, that's the thing. Uh, so it was, by the way, when you've done whatever demanding thing the Lord has asked you to do, when you expect only to serve him some more, then you'll never be disappointed. And if he happens to grant you some respite, some, some, uh, some good things, then you'll be overjoyed. So it was, again, at Paris Island. I have never been so thankful and so happy simply to be allowed to sit down. It was the greatest privilege. Or to eat, or to sleep. It was such luxury. You know that... Nobody was, I know, was actually depressed there. Things were so rough. Expectations were so high. Work was so, so hard. Merely being able to sit down was something to be thankful for. Now, if we really expected only to serve some more once we served, we wouldn't have disappointment. We'd actually have a lot more joy than we do. And C, just obey. Okay? If you're going to call yourself an unprofitable servant, and the Lord tells you to do something, just obey. The Lord says, be ready to forgive. Do it. If people says, tell people their faults rather than either gossip or, or holding a grudge, just do it. He, he says, you don't have to find it reasonable. You just have to do it. That's all. The Lord says, seek first the kingdom of God. Do it. The Lord says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Here's the shorter catechism. How is the Sabbath to be sanctified? The Sabbath is to be sanctified by a holy resting all that day, even from such worldly employments and recreations as are lawful in other days, and spending the whole uh, time in the public and private exercises of God's worship, except so much as to be taken up in the works of necessity and mercy. Do it. The Lord says to serve others, not yourself. Do it. Think of yourselves as unprofitable servants. Secondly and finally, the good news is that the Lord will call you good and faithful servant. See the distinction? I found it a little bit hard. How could he say at one hand that we're unprofitable servants and then on the other hand say good and faithful servants? Because that's what goes on in Matthew chapter 25. That's the way it runs. Matthew 25 verse 20. So he who had received five talents came and brought the five other talents saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents beside you. That's all he was asked to do. That's not tremendous. After all those years, it's gained five more talents. So the Lord said to him, well done. Good and faithful servant. He's just, he's just done what he's been told. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Many things. It's out of all proportion for what he actually did. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Okay? You think of yourselves as an unprofitable servant. And when all that's done, then the Lord says, No, you're a good and faithful servant. And enter into the joy of your Lord. And I will delight to give you all things out of all proportion of anything that you've done in this life. I will reward you richly simply for doing the things that you've been called to do. Likewise in verse 22, he had reserved the two talents. Let's say you're not even a five talent sort of person, a two talent. Came and said, Lord, you delivered me to two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents beside them. And his Lord said the same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. 
I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. What have they done for it? They merely obeyed. Brothers and sisters, that's the beauty of it, isn't it? We think of ourselves down here as we ought to. And we would be glad merely not to receive punishment. The Lord takes that in his generosity and his grace because he's the one, if we do anything in this world at all, it is he who is doing it through us, you know. But even that he takes and he sees and says, you good and faithful servant, I'm going to reward you richly. Enter into the joy of your Lord. May such thoughts, both now and as we look forward in eternity, may they mark, may they define our year to come. Let us pray. Lord, you are so good to us. It is beyond imagination, beyond any adequate description. The fact is, we do not think of ourselves soberly. The fact is, we have listened to Satan's lie. We're glad to hear his flattery, and we receive it too much. That, Lord, we are like gods, but we aren't gods. We are we're servants. We're creatures, creatures of the dust, into whom you have breathed, breathed life. And we're designed, we're created to worship you, to serve you. And Lord, even if we served you absolutely perfectly all of our lives, we would receive no thanks for it. We would be due no thanks for it. And so, Heavenly Father, help us to think of ourselves as we should. How we pray, Lord, that we therefore understand the gospel of grace. We do not come as little gods looking for rewards. We come as those who are lost. We come as those who are about to be cast into, into outer darkness for being unprofitable servants. Heavenly Father, how we pray, therefore, that we would gladly receive the gospel of grace and the forgiveness of it. And Lord, we do pray that we would rightly understand who we are in this world and we would simply do the commands that you've, you've given to us. And when we've done it, not to expect a medal for it, but knowing all the time that you and your amazing generosity and goodness yet intend and plan to reward us out of all proportion and to say, even though we call ourselves unprofitable servants, you will say to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. May it be so for all of us here. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.